Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 127 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about dehydrated food on the trail. I think for most people, they're probably aware of the, the old adage that there are discussions you don't have over uh, dinner time. Uh, things like politics, religion, uh, and relationships are probably a few of those that you tend to try and avoid. Hiking is very much the same. Um, if you start talking about hiking food options, it's amazing how quickly the conversation can become heated as individuals passionately defend their preferred meal options and tell you why your choices are wrong. Uh, and this is definitely a topic I try and avoid when I'm at camp in the evening. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of using dehydrated food, uh, as well as talking about things you need to do to get the best results, and as well as identifying a few options that are, that are easy to work with. Okay, so firstly, what is dehydrated food? And you think, well, why do we need to talk about this? Most people know, but if you're new to hiking uh, and have never used dehydrated food before, you may not be aware of what it is. And put simply, it's using a heat source such as the sun uh, or heated air of some type uh, to remove the moisture uh, from the food. Um, and, that, and, and, and as it says, you are dehydrating or removing any water out of the food or as much as you can. Now, sometimes sulfites are added to commercial food to aid in the drying process, and this is uh, potentially causing problems for a growing number of people who have allergies to sulfites. Um, and I tend to be one of these people. Um, I uh, love uh, commercially uh, dehydrated pears. That's um, one of my favourite fruits. Uh, but if I have too many of them, I become a bit wheezy and my breathing is affected. So I do need to be really careful about how many of these I have. Um, and how often I eat them, particularly on a, on a hike, is when I really get stuck into them. Yeah, you can actually purchase um, dehydrated food that doesn't have those additives. Um, uh, you have to look carefully and uh, you have to be able to read the packet to make sure that um, there isn't anything added to them. Um, those kinds of sulfites are also added to things like processed meats as well. So sometimes we don't think about that. Um, and we think that that's quite a good uh, good option as well, day to day, maybe on short hikes. Um, but you can get um, quite a reaction from some of those sorts of um, food products too. Now, certainly where I can, I try to buy organic dried uh, food or dehydrated food, um, uh, but that tends to have a price premium because it's uh, quite often it's sun-dried uh, and it takes a lot longer um, and it's a more expensive process. And generally nothing added. Yeah, yeah it's just the, 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 the food itself and that's it. The other issue with uh, dehydrated food is any cooking process, doesn't matter what it is, has the potential to limit the vitamins and, and minerals that are uh, available from the food itself. And we've been told for a long time now that fresh is best, 
Uh, so eating vegetables uh, in particular that are, uh, are uncooked um, is better for us, um, but typically we want our food to be cooked. So there's a limit to what we can actually eat raw. This is unlikely to be an issue for short hikes, but it can impact on longer hikes um, uh, where you um, you may not have a deficiency as such, uh, but you're progressively losing minerals uh, and vitamins over a period of, of weeks uh, rather than days. Now, there are alternatives to dehydrated food, uh, and the two main ones that we tend to think about is freeze-dried food, which is a lot of the uh, the main meals that are, are available to us on the market for hikers. Uh, and this is a similar sort of process where you are removing the moisture from the food, but you're doing it by quick freezing, uh, followed by a strong vacuum process. Uh, and this turns the water into vapour uh, and allows the food to be more easily rehydrated. Uh, it is a more expensive process. It tends to keep the food looking very similar. Uh, I mean, dehydrating food will often find that uh, it do- when it rehydrates, it doesn't resemble what it did when it first came out. Yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? Uh, whereas the freeze-dried process tends to maintain the shape and appearance. So from a, a, a cosmetic point of view, uh, the freeze-dried tends to look a bit better. But I would argue there are some freeze-dried foods that don't resemble anything that I recognise. No, that's true. <laughs> And the other option, which we've already mentioned, is fresh food. Uh, And it's just that. It's food that's uncooked, uh, unprocessed. Uh, So fruit and vegetables are probably a good thing that you can think of here. It could be cooked food as well, but, you know, you've cooked it yourself and you've packaged it up and it's ready to eat. Yeah, yeah, you're not not actually drying it to have to rehydrate it at a later stage. Now, fresh fruit tends to be heavier and bulkier. It spoils more quickly because of the moisture content. Um, and it tends to be limited to the first day or two of a hike um, where it won't get spoiled or is less likely to get squashed. And we've talked about this in the past. Uh, I think the life expectancy of a banana on a hike is probably about two hours. Um, <laughs> I've, I've yet to see one that lasts that lasts a full day because it tends to get squashed in the pack. Um, so you know, it, it goes into the pack looking like a normal banana and comes out and it's all soft and squashy. And brown. Um, and brown, yeah. <laughs> so it's the sort of thing that um, um, there are certain things. Uh, vegetables often do a bit better, the, the, hard, the slightly harder sort of foods, uh, but you are limited with, uh, with uh, what you can take. So on the longer hikes, uh, fresh food, while it's good for the first couple of days, is fairly limited. So next we're going to look at the benefits of dehydrated food. If done properly, dehydrated food can last for an extended period, And this really relies on correct storage. Um, So correct storage means you've stored it correctly when you've made it at home, Uh, you've stored it correctly on the trail, and you're not keeping it for long periods. Um, I have had some types of dehydrated food, uh, things like fruit, things like dips that have lasted for very long periods, Um, but I've also had... Uh, some uh, types of food that haven't been stored that well or get stored in Ziploc bags on a hike. And Ziploc bags tend to get or keep most of the moisture out of the bags, but not all. Uh, So as a result, you'll find that uh, uh, from a user using dehydrated food perspective, um, really what it comes down to is Um, it does have a limited life. So you can't really make it 12 months in advance and go back to it in most cases. Uh, 
And we'll talk about some options for that later on. Yeah, and I think the other thing around uh, Ziploc bags is that you need to squeeze the air out of them. You need to make sure that the zip is zipped. Um, and if you can, get a double Ziploc bag rather than just a single Ziploc bag. So dehydrated food is less likely to squash in your pack uh, because there's nothing really to squash. The food taste can be concentrated. So particularly in relation to things like fruit, it tends to be a lot sweeter. So dehydrating bananas, dehydrating apples, uh, you tend to concentrate the sugar uh, within the within the fruit itself, and it does tend to be much sweeter. And I think that's also an indication of uh, calorie content as well. You can, for the the weight and size, you can amp up the calorie uh, proportion, if you like, in in the food because it's not being diluted by the moisture content of the food. Now, because you've actually reduced the or removed the water out of the dehydrated food, it's much lighter in weight. So again, anything that reduces your weight's a good option. If you're dehydrating your own food, you get to choose what goes into the meal, which means you're more likely to eat it. <laughs> um, now, it, it, it sounds silly here, but you um, by creating greater variety in your meals, you're not going to get sick of, of the food and get bored with it. Um, and I think the thing with um, creating your own meals is you'll actually create meals that you do like. Um, you might be lucky enough to find uh, dehydrated options on the market that you like, um, but you might only like one or two available options, uh, and then uh, on a long extended sort of hike, you might get sick of it. And, you know, when you think about it um, and you've been doing a bit of exercise and you're tired, um, the last thing that you want to do is to force feed, feed yourself. So, you know, the option of having something that you really enjoy is quite, a, quite an important one. Um, it's easy to prepare, and in most cases, all you're needing to do is just uh, adding hot water or cold water as required, or you eat it as as is. So in things like fruit um, or vegetables, if you're dehydrating, uh, you eat as is. Um, but if you're cooking a meal, um, you might just need to add hot water or cold water, whatever is required, um, and it doesn't take too much effort to do that. It's also relatively low cost. Uh, and when we talk about low cost here, this is in comparison to um, talking about freeze-dried meals, where commercially available freeze-dried meals, single serves, roughly about $10 per serve. Um, and if you make a meal at home, I mean, if you're just making one serve, that can be a bit expensive. But normally when you're making a meal, you might get two or three serves out of it. Um, it might only cost you uh, the price of one and a half to two uh, equivalent of the uh, the freeze-dried options. So it can and usually is a bit cheaper than the freeze-dried options on the market. Now, as well as having advantages, there are also disadvantages with using freeze-dried food. They aren't necessarily nutritionally balanced. Uh, it really depends on what you include in them. Um, so commercially dehydrated food can be high in nutrition, but then again, it may not be. Uh, and again, the freeze-dried meals typically are nutritionally balanced. If you're making your own meals, it's like, well, if you eat a bag of two-minute noodles, as an example, there's not a lot of nutrition in there. Um, it really depends on what you add to them. Um, some meals tend to be high in salt. Uh, other meals tend to be high in sugar. Um, and again, for shorter periods, it's not really an issue. Uh, but for longer hikes, um, if you've got... 
um, nutritionally poor food that you're using, uh, it may be that you, you, you may start showing that by losing a lot of energy on a hike. Yeah, I think it's also possibly an issue um, even just when you're exerting yourself. So, you know, you might, if your diet is not fantastic, um, you might start the hike uh, in slightly poorer condition and then you exert yourself. So the importance and the significance of having something that's nutritionally balanced becomes um, a much greater consideration. If you don't store dehydrated meals properly at home or on your hike, and we've already talked about this, they will often absorb moisture and then run the risk of going off. So you want to be really careful with dehydrated meat meals. And I must admit, I've never been a big fan of making um, dehydrated meat meals, um, or if I do, it tends to be consumed virtually as the first meal of a hike uh, and not for an extended period. Dehydrating is time-consuming. Not only do you have to cook the meal or the meal components, depending on what you're doing, but you then have to dry them and store them. Um, People often complain about the price of commercially available meals, um, but you walk into a store, you pick it up, you pay the money, you walk out, uh, and then typically you just add hot or cold water at the end of it. Um, It depends on how important time is to you, and for me it's probably my limiting factor, uh, so I, while I do actually dehydrate things, I am really picky about what I'm going to dehydrate. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is if, if you really enjoy preparing your own meals and, and, you know, that's a joy for you rather than a chore, then you should do that. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And one other thing which people may not tend to think about is if you're going interstate for hiking, um, some Australian states have very strict import laws And while they'll accept commercially prepared food, um, not always, but in most cases they will, uh, they don't actually accept or or are unlikely to accept homemade meals. And a good example here was, again, uh, I know I talk about this a lot, but my Bibbulmun track hike in 2018. My Bibbulmun track hike. (laughs) Um, But there were strict quarantine laws. I looked into it. Um, They talked about um, they'll accept most... uh, commercially prepared dried fruit, uh, but not unlikely to accept um, home-done uh, fruit. So in that case there, there was a lot of things I usually would have taken with me uh, but didn't do because of the uh, the quarantine issues. And I think it, mostly it was about not wanting to risk. Um, sometimes it was clear, sometimes it wasn't clear. And, you know, we, we often think of a quarantine in terms of um, – import and exports in relation to Australia, but movement within Australia is also an issue. And I'm sure everybody has gone through the the fruit fly quarantine where you've had to clear out the car from, you know, all of the um, the fruit that you've got that you thought you would eat by the time you got to the border, but you didn't. And you have to put um, a stack of fruit in a bin uh, to be able to cross the border. And one thing I would say here is um, it's worth definitely worthwhile checking the quarantine laws when you're moving from state to state. Um, I could have got away with uh, taking my food into Western Australia last year uh, because there was no one to check at the time I came through. Uh, but it is a risk and potentially you put an area at risk if you bring food in that has an issue. Um, so what I'd say here though is if you are going overseas, don't take 
uh, homemade uh, meals with you, uh, buy the food when you get there, or take commercially prepared meals that, that very obviously is commercially prepared. Next, we're going to talk about, is it worth dehydrating your own food? And as Jill mentioned, if you're into dehydrating food, go for it. It's a, it's a thing that a lot of people like doing. Uh, I love cooking. Um, I do like dehydrating fruit uh, and vegetables, but um, I, in all honesty, aren't big on dehydrating full meals. I'd like to keep things as simple as possible. Um, and really, that's what it comes down to. I think it's also about if, if you like eating your own food, eating the food that you prepare, then dehydrate that food. Yeah. So now we've we've owned a, a quality home dehydrator for about seven years now, uh, and it takes a long time. <laughs> it takes a long time. To, I mean, typically, if I'm drying bananas as an example, uh, the way I do it um, is around about eleven hours of drying time. Uh, the cooking time's actually, or the preparation time's actually quite short. It might only be sort of half an hour, but that's a twelve-hour process. And I must admit, I don't have to sit there and look at the, the the food and watch it drying, but I do need to come back from time to time to check it uh, because it will tend to stick to the trays as you're drying it out, so sometimes you may have to turn it over. Um, and you've, you've got this thing that's making a noise. Um, I mean, mine lives in the garage, um, and even though it's through a wall, you can actually hear it at night time. So, uh, an insulated wall, <laughs> an insulated wall. We can still hear it. So, uh, I make sure that I get up early enough in the morning, and it's turned off at night before we go to bed. That means you, because you get up before me, you turn it on, so it wakes me up, but doesn't keep you awake. Um, so, you know, as I said, dried fruits and, for me, homemade dips. Uh, again, it, it tends to be a long sort of period. Uh, it does add to your electricity bill uh, and it is time-consuming, uh, but, you know, it's not going to break the bank. I think it's also nice to have something that is familiar and comforting as well uh, when you are on a hike, no matter how small. I mean, Tim always talks about weeks, but even if it's only a few days, um, it's nice to have something that you've created and you know, if we, you're with others that you can share and so on. Now, we are talking about uh, commercially uh, available uh, dehydrating machines and they're, they're not overly expensive. You can buy them in, in a lot of stores and a lot of the bigger uh, um, uh, shopping centres quite easily. Um, but if you don't want to buy one or don't want to go to the expense, thing wrong with uh, using your oven to uh, dehydrate food. You, know, you tend to use it on a very low heat. Uh, typically around about 50 to 60 degrees, and that tends to be a bit hard sometimes. Um, and you need to actually um, uh, go through and have it um, on a, a low heat and the door open and check it fairly regularly. Um, so you know, if you decide you want to try it but you not, don't want to go to the expense of buying a, a, a proper uh, a dehydrating machine, go to the oven and it'll work. You, know, you, you might have to have a bit of a play with it, but it will typically work. As we mentioned, nutrient and calorie loss is something to consider, and, and as, as said previously, not an issue on shorter hikes, but on longer hikes it can be. Uh, but as, a, as I said, I really would advise if you're doing a multi-week hike, take uh, a multivitamin with you. This is one of these times where it really is worthwhile doing. Now, most commonly people will dehydrate uh, discrete food sources such as pieces of fruit or they'll do jerky, um, as opposed to making full-on meals. Um, and really, if you're going to go through and do full-on meals, practice at home first. 
you dry a banana, you dry an apple, what you see is what you get. You know what it is at the end of the uh, the process. Dehydrating a meal, um, you then need to go through, if, if it's the first time you've ever done this, you need, then need to go through and rehydrate it and see what it tastes like. You may find that it's worked really well, it's dried really well, um, you put the water back into it again, you heat it up and it tastes revolting. Uh, don't make the first time you try it uh, the first trip on the trail and you've got the next two weeks worth of food which you absolutely hate. Yeah, I think that's also, you know, when you're looking at discrete food sources like pieces of fruit, um, it probably doesn't matter too much. You know, it's not such an impact if it's not fantastic or it's not what you thought it would be. It's okay, but it's not, you know, it's not what you thought it would be. But if it's a meal, you know, that that's a whole meal and you've probably got a pack full of them. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer to use freeze-dried meals as my main meal of the day, which is at night time, uh, but I'll make lunch dips uh, and snack fruit where possible. Uh, and for me, the, uh, the dips work really well, uh, and we'll talk more about those in, in a moment. It's one thing going through and dehydrating at home, but then it's a matter of what do you do when you actually get out on the trail. And it may be that you're doing full-on cooking. You actually dehydrate uh, a number of different uh, products you might dehydrate veggies, might dehydrate meat, um, yeah, and then you actually go through and do formal cooking on the trail. Bring it all together. You bring it all together on the trail, as opposed to doing a meal uh, and then just um, rehydrating that particular meal. Having said that, what you'll need to do if that's the case is allow more time to cook your meals and to clean up the implements at the end of the day. Uh, for me, who are just having a freeze dried meal, um, takes around about two to three minutes to boil the water, uh, 10 minutes roughly, 15 minutes to uh, rehydrate the, the food, uh, and then you eat it. Uh, you've got a bag which you put into your rubbish bag. You clean up your spoon or you clean up your bowl or your plate if that's what you're using, uh, and then that's it. Um, if you're actually physically cooking in your heating source, your your pot or your stove, you then have to go through and clean that up as well. You can't just sort of tip it up and let the water dry out. Uh, you've actually got to physically clean it up uh, at the end of the day. Uh, so th this additional time usage is something you need to factor in if that's what you plan on doing. The other option with cooking on the trail is not to go through and, uh, I suppose, uh, apply heat, uh, which is what we think about when we're going through and cooking. So for me, I use dips, as I said, quite a lot. Um, uh, my favourite dip's actually a broad bean dip. Uh, it's really fiddly. I hate uh, shelling, for want of better terms, broad beans. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to remove the outer skin off them, um, and it, it it just takes a, a lot longer preparation wise. But it's a really really nice dip. I really do love that black bean dip, and all I do is add an amount of olive oil uh, and some water just after I finish breakfast. I'm about to start walking for the day. Uh, and then when I have it for lunch, I'll just check the water level. I might need to add a, a tiny bit more water just to get the consistency right and it's ready to eat. In most cases, it's probably around about an hour and a half is what you need to actually have it ready. So there's no cooking involved as such. Uh, all I'm doing is just adding water and oil. Um, so in that instance, um, it's, it's a really easy, calorie-dense uh, option. Uh, and I never get sick of it. So I can quite easily cycle through those uh, three dips 
peanut butter um, and occasionally I might just skip it and have a snack bar or something for lunch uh, and I never seem to get bored with those options, either over, over extended hikes. Now, we've talked about storing dehydrated food, and this really is the critical thing when you're going through and um, managing this process. And in most cases, when I'm going through and preparing meals for a hike, I'll go through and prepare the dips and the dried fruit uh, probably a couple of weeks before the hike itself. Um, I will put them into a really high-quality, well-sealed plastic container, Get as much air out of there as possible by pushing the lid down and then storing in a cool, dark place in a cupboard somewhere. Uh, Now, I've had dips that I've used after making them 13 months ago and they've come out really well. Uh, My only comment with that would be uh, they tend to be a bit clumpy if you try and eat them within sort of half an hour or or 40 minutes, which is what you can very easily do if you've just made it. Um, but otherwise they taste just the same um, and they you know they, they really are no different than stuff I've made just fresh. So, yeah, so I think you, in that case you just need to um, hydrate them for a slightly longer period than you would normally do. Um, I think the point you were making about the airtight container, um, it's really, really hard in a domestic situation to get uh, a, a pure seal, um, those who will be familiar with um, pickling and b- bottling fruit and so on will know what the effort is that you have to go to to get that seal exactly right. Most air- airtight containers as such, uh, it, Ziploc bags included, are not airtight. So they will have um, air in them and they will allow air in and it's the air that will bring the moisture into um, the food. Now, we talked about this um, as well in the relation to the Ziploc bags. Ziploc bags, there are cheap and nasty Ziploc bags. <laughs> there are good quality ones. If you're going to use Ziploc bags, go for the better quality ones. Now, I know people do have an option, and we have talked about being environmentally friendly from a waste perspective, but sometimes there really is no replacement option for a Ziploc bag. If you're going on an extended hike, you can't take um, – hard plastic containers Tupperware, you, containers, Tupperware containers that you carry out with you on a five-week hike. It just doesn't work. Ziploc bags really are the only option. Yeah, I think if, you, if you're careful with the Ziploc bags, for some reason every time we go on a, um, an overnight or multi-day hike, um, Tim seems to puncture the Ziploc bag when he stuffs it into his pack. I'm not quite sure how you do that. But if you're careful with the bags, um, you use them, you could bring them home and you could wash them out, uh, dry them well, um, and you could probably reuse them if they're good quality. Yeah, and, and certainly we do, we do that, particularly on the larger bags, where we can, the bigger, larger bags, we do tend to reuse where possible. Um, and then the smaller bags of stuff that, that does need to be um, kept, have kept water or moisture away from it at all costs, um, so it doesn't spoil, um, the little bags often we'll get rid of. Um Sometimes, so for our breakfast food as an example, we'll often eat cereal and it goes into a Ziploc bag with powdered milk. Uh, so again, we need to keep the moisture out of that so the milk doesn't actually go off because it's 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 gotten wet. Uh, we'll actually eat out of the Ziploc bags and in that case we'll throw those bags away. But That gets a bit tricky when you've got to hold your hand out and support a, a, 
a bag that's um, got got now sloppy cereal and you know runny milk in it. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the written version of this podcast, we've got a series of um, lunch options and snack options, uh, which we'll be adding to uh, quite a lot over the next twelve months, um, and these are certainly options for us that work really well. You don't need to have 20 different options uh, for lunches or 20 different options for snacks. Uh, And if you are into making full-on meals, you don't need to have a lot of options. Um, It really is find something that works for you um, and go through and stick with it because if you like it, um, as long as you have a bit of variety, you'll be fine. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, whatever number, three, two, four, cycle them through and – you know, that, that, that will be enjoyable meal time for you. One other thing I would say here as well, or things that you would want to go through and consider with food, um, vegetables and fruit are great options, um, and you can dehydrate meat to make your own jerky or even your own meals, but be very careful when using meat and don't store dehydrated meat for any extended period. Get it wrong and you end up with food poisoning. Now, what I'd say as a, as, a, as, a, as a closing here is there's no right or wrong when it comes to dehydrating food. What I would say is dehydrate what you like to eat. Um, if you don't think it tastes good when you've made it fresh, it's not going to taste good when you've gone through and dehydrated it. It just doesn't work. I've spent a number of years working out what I do and don't like, and Jill's the same. So as long as quarantine... And reg- we don't always like the same things. No, we don't. <laughs> So long as quarantine regulations are not an issue, I'll always make my dips and fruits uh, 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 and I'll uh, never grow tired of my limited selection. Uh, I just just like them that much. Um, and as I said, slowly but surely we're adding to the range, uh, but it's, it's a matter of finding things you like and sticking with it. Yeah, and also, you know, if there are things that you do that you think others might be interested in, we'd be, uh, we'd like to hear about that too. Okay, so we hope you've enjoyed this discussion of dehydrated food. Uh, As I said, everyone has different opinions. Uh, People may or may not agree with what we've said, but certainly for us it works well. I think one of the things that's certainly become obvious to me over the years is people are looking at ways to simplify things. Uh, And if you love going out and cooking in the bush, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also nothing wrong with keeping it nice and simple uh, without having to get too carried away with uh, getting really fancy and extravagant with cooking full-on meals. Uh, The choice is really yours. In next week's episode, episode 128, we're going to be going through and doing a media review and looking at some more videos and some more books uh, that are hiking-based Uh, just to give you a bit of a taster for things you can be watching or things you can be reading. Uh, And particularly as we start leading up to the Christmas period, people are always looking for gifts and things, uh, and we will be talking about that more in the coming weeks. And and, uh, people are always looking for hints to give their family and friends for gifts (laughs) for them. (laughs) Okay. Uh, As always, you can listen to this podcast through the Australian Hiker website, at www.australianhiker.com.au, through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and any other podcast catcher that you actually go through and use or listen to. 
If you have the opportunity, please go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating, uh, and we'll read those out from time to time. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. There's nothing wrong with using your stove, or sorry, your fridge. There's nothing wrong with using your. Uh, um, it's the oven. It's the oven. The yeah, oven. That's what I'm it would be the oven. Uh, alternatively, Black Dean. Alternatively, Black Dean. Alternatively, black bean dip uh, and hummus do really well, and most people are, are quite comfortable with hummus these days. I really do love the black bean. I'm having problems with black bean dip. And you can dehydrate meat.